the problem is that with every single person missing and not diagnosed or treated, one person can infect up to 15 others in a year. Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast for the foreign policy and global development communities and anyone who wants a deeper understanding of what is driving events in the world today. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg. I am a veteran international affairs journalist and the editor of UN Dispatch. Enjoy the show. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. After COVID, the second leading cause of death from infectious disease around the world is tuberculosis. Although TB is relatively easy to diagnose and cure, 10 million people globally develop it each year. In 2021, which is the last year for which we have accurate data, 1.6 million people died from tuberculosis. These deaths mostly occurred in poor and marginalized communities. So why is a disease that is preventable and curable still inflicting such a major toll on the health and welfare of so many people and what can be done to reduce the burden of TB around the world? Joining me to answer these questions and more is Dr. Luchika Dithieu, Executive Director of the Stop TB Partnership. We kick off discussing trends in TB around the world, including how COVID impacted efforts to reach global targets around reducing sickness and death from tuberculosis. We then have a longer conversation about what can be done to accelerate progress against this deadly disease. So this episode is a good example of the kind of humanitarian journalism that this podcast has pioneered over the last 10 years. There's no conventional news hook to this story, yet it is undoubtedly extremely newsworthy. With the exception of COVID, TB is the leading infectious killer around the world and impacts tens of millions of people. That's newsworthy to me and deserving of the kind of in-depth exploration that this episode provides. But I realize that's unique. Most other international news outlets aren't going to cover this story, but I do what I do precisely because this story is so important. And I hope you'll take a moment to support that work and support what we do on Global Dispatches. We are in the midst of a fundraising drive, and I strongly encourage you to make a monthly recurring contribution to the show. You can do so in one of three ways. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can become a premium subscriber inside the app. If you subscribe to my email newsletter, you can become a monthly recurring contributor via the Substack 
platform, or you can simply go to patreon.com slash global dispatches. I am platform neutral. You should do whatever is easiest for you. And thank you. Thank you for helping me do what I do and for helping this show continue to thrive. Humanitarian journalism is unique. There's not many of us out there. We at Global Dispatches rely on a degree of listener support. So thank you. Now here is my conversation with Dr. Luchika Dichiu, Executive Director of the Stop TB Partnership. So I take it that TB incidence generally refers to the number of people infected with TB per 100,000 in a population. Using that definition, over the past few decades, say pre-COVID, what have been some of the notable trends in TB incidence worldwide? The incidence refers to the number of people sick with tuberculosis per 100,000. And that's because in TB, we have people that are infected and people that are sick. People that are infected are approximately 25% of the world, according to WHO. So a large, large, large number, 2 billion people in the world are infected with TB. I am infected with TB. That means that we carry with us the mycobacterium hidden in some cells in our body, sleeping there, we don't spread it, and we are not sick. But triggered by a change in our immune system and by many things that probably we don't even know very well, it can become a disease. And the disease means that basically different organs are being affected and we can spread the disease. So the incidence that we work with is the number of people sick with the disease because the number of people infected is a very large number. So you just said that you yourself are positive for TB, but you display no symptoms, you don't transmit it. But presumably, if you got sick with another disease and your immune system was weakened, then you would be infected with TB. Correct. Then I would become sick. Basically, what we know so far is that diseases such as HIV, such as diabetes, conditions such as even pregnancy or stress can lead to an uh, transformation of the infection to a disease. What does the research on COVID say about that? There is research showing that COVID is a bad predictor for the outcomes of TB. There are not yet enough data looking at the impact of COVID on the infection, okay? But we know the impact of COVID on the disease. So if you have COVID and TB in the same time, your prognosis for both COVID and TB is much worse. But the data so far are not enough to say the role that COVID will have into a potential activation between infection and disease. We don't have that. So if there are, say, 2 billion people in the world, 25% of the world's population is infected with TB, but not sick. When we speak about incidents, as you said, we're, we're talking about sickness per 100,000 in population. What have been the broad trends pre-COVID? on that statistic? So when we look at incidents, we have in rough numbers around 10 million people 
sick with TB every year. That's the figure that we take. And that figure was before COVID slightly declining every year, not dramatically, not at a huge rate, but still going down. 10 million is an estimate of how many people with TB are sick every year globally. However, not all of them are being diagnosed and treated. And this is a very important aspect for TB and for all of us to understand that not all 10 million are found, diagnosed, put on treatment and cured. To be more specific, every year we have a large number of missing people with TB, we call them, because we don't know if they are not diagnosed. We don't know if they are maybe diagnosed and treated by some people that just don't bother to treat them or to inform authorities about that. So the problem is that with every single person missing and not diagnosed or treated, one person can infect up to 15 others in a year. A person sick with TB is not keeping it for himself or herself, is spreading it through air, identical with COVID, because we know that COVID is an airborne disease, TB is an airborne disease, is spread through air. So similarly, the more people we have that are not diagnosed and treated, the more people infected will be, and the more people will become sick with the disease as we go. And before COVID, as I said, basically up to 2019, there were three things that were remarkable with TB. The incidence was going down, not in an accelerated pace, but going down. The mortality due to TB was going down. Basically, we were around 1.5 million people with TB that die every year. Uh, It was going to 1.4, 1.3, and so on, pre-COVID. And the third thing that was before COVID was the number of missing people with TB, which is basically the difference between estimated people sick and how many people are diagnosed and treated. That was going down. And in 2019, was at the lowest level that we ever saw, which was 3 million people. We are uh, far from doing well, because you realize that when I speak about 1.4 million people that die every year with TB and 3 million people that were missed diagnosis and treatment, that's a very high, high, high burden to deal with. But this 2019 was for us the best year before COVID, even with these figures that might seem a bit alarming. So then COVID happened, and after years of reductions of TB incidents and deaths and finding missing TB patients, these numbers presumably started to reverse and started to increase. What was it about COVID that caused such an increase in trends around TB worldwide? Yeah, 20 and 21 were a nightmare for us in the TB response we basically saw all our efforts turned back, you know? It's like you gain with a lot of sweat and efforts every thousand people with TB in being diagnosed and treated and reduce this pall of people missing, right? And reduce the mortality and save more lives. And then suddenly you see everything overturned upside down. So there was a combination of three things. The first one was the COVID restrictions. Due to the fact that the TB diagnosis and treatment, we are not at the stage to have it at the peripheral level and to have it close to people. Things are pretty centralized. So basically, people to get diagnosed and treated, they had to move around. 
And because of the restrictions that were during the COVID pandemic, people couldn't move around. They couldn't really go to their hospitals and dispensaries to get diagnosed and treated and followed up. It was not only the restriction, I think it was also a fear to go. We had people that were afraid that if they go to the hospital and they cough, it might be uh, seen as uh, COVID. Uh, They might stay in the hospital and they don't think it's right. So a combination of factors related to that made basically people not to go to the hospital or dispensaries to get diagnosed. That led to the fact that there happened transmission within the households. I mean, people didn't go to work. There was not too much on the public transportation, on theaters and everything, but uh, it was uh, much more transmission in the households where, where people were living, you know, and sometimes it was with their families, but also it can be, you know, several friends or several people together and so on. So transmission happened. And I want to tell you that not only transmission, but people stayed for so long with TB that in 2021 and then in 2022, when people were returning basically to diagnosis and so on, the forms of TB that were seen were very advanced forms, things that we've seen basically in Les Miserables. TB was uh, consumption, right? And basically your lungs are being destroyed and you spit blood. And nowadays, fewer and fewer cases are actually going to this spitting of blood because it's we diagnose it a bit earlier, right? But the forms that were seen after COVID, the clinical forms were actually forms that we saw just in books from the 1900s and so on. And the third reason for COVID, uh, which is uh, in a way generated by the health systems, was the fact that TB is an airborne pandemic. So when COVID hit, most of the countries turned to the TB doctors, to the TB hospitals, to the TB laboratories, dispensaries, nurses, to be the frontliners for COVID. A lot of my colleagues from many countries, from Indonesia, from India, Philippines, in Africa as well, European countries, became from TB doctors or people that care of TB, they had to deal with COVID as well. Also because a lot of them are basically lung diseases specialists. So it goes through the nose, it ends up in the lungs, it's dealt by the pulmonologist. In some countries, the only hospitals with good infection control measures where the TB hospitals automatically, they became COVID hospitals, as well as for the laboratories, some of the same tools are being used for diagnosing TB and COVID as well, especially rapid molecular tests. So when you combine these factors together, it's kind of a perfect solution for sort of a mess in terms of what happened with the TB response. And so what does the data say of most recent trends in TB today, given all of the factors that you just listed? How much has TB deaths and TB sicknesses increased since COVID? There are two parts to this. The first is that 2020 and 2021 were a disaster in such a way that basically the incidence increased basically first time in uh, almost 12, 13 years, okay? Mortality increased to 1.6 million people with TB that died in 2021. So incidence, mortality, and the number of missing people with TB went back to 4 million, the figure that we had in 2016 or 17. So this was what happened in 2021. 
working with the WHO and but also especially with the member states, we're able to look uh, in for 2022 of to some of the highest burden countries with TB. I'm speaking here of India, Indonesia, Nigeria, Bangladesh, South Africa. And in 2022, these countries did a fantastic effort. Specifically, I would say here, India and Indonesia. But all of them, I mean, what they did is basically they bounced back to the pre-COVID data and even better in such a way that I think 2022, we don't have yet official data. But based on this, several high burden countries, we think that actually the number of missing people with TB will be actually even below 3 million, right? Which was, as I told you, the best ever we achieved. We estimate that will be around the 2.7 million people missing with TB. I think mortality will not change too much because we pay the price still in 2022 of the situation of 2021 and all the other things. And then the incidents as well, the trends are not changing that quickly that we will not see a change in the incidence probably in the data of 2022, but maybe on the data of 2023 and so on. So what that says is this. It says that COVID caught us completely unprepared and the world jumped on the best proxy disease they had, which was TB, using the staff, the communities, the laboratories and everyone to be able to address the disease. That shows that the investments in TB are paying back. And that's why we need to think for the future that if we invest in one disease, we can invest in the other, we can help others as well and vice versa. The second thing that shows us with the work that happened in 2022 is that if the countries are really focused and they want to do it, it is possible to bounce back and it is possible to actually find, diagnose and treat and care for people with TB. And how they did that very much was by being smart. And uh, India, and uh, as well as Indonesia, but uh, Nigeria as well, and many others, actually, even during the COVID pandemic, not just last year, started doing what we call bidirectional testing or multiplexing. Basically, you have someone coming to you coughing and not feeling well, test him for COVID, but test him for TB as well, and vice versa. And in this way, you basically increase the chances of diagnosing this disease as well as any other respiratory disease. So could you maybe just walk me through what a successful public health program to sharply reduce TB looks like? I take it a big part of it is diagnosis, and then the other half is treatment. And and treatment for TB is know, readily available, relatively inexpensive. Are there good examples of countries that have in recent years just radically reduced their TB incidence to get closer, at least to that SDG goal of reducing sickness and death by, I think it's about 80% and 90% respectively? For a long time in the TB response before, not now, People focused on different interventions that were pushed to be scaled up, you know. So rather than do a a comprehensive package with everything, people were saying, oh, let's diagnose or let's treat. Oh, or let's uh, secure uh, that we do take care of TB in prison or something. The right approach is to implement a package that 
basically covers the different aspects that are needed for TB. So not just one direction, but the other. Because in addition to diagnosis, which is extremely important, it's important to do an early diagnosis. If I'm sick with TB and I cough and I already infect my family and my friends and everybody, great that I'm diagnosed. But in the meantime, I already spread it. So early diagnosis is very important. And for that, that early diagnosis that then leads to proper treatment, that leads then for those that are around me that are exposed, you can give preventive treatment. So prevention and diagnosis and treatment. To make sure that this is happening, this needs to be basically accessible to people. And this is one of the dramas in TB, is the fact that TB is being seen, of course, it has no borders and is spread through air. But the biggest number of people with TB are in countries with lower income, low income or low middle income level, and are in populations and groups of people that are somehow vulnerable to something. And the vulnerability comes with a vulnerability related to the health status, but it comes with a vulnerability related to their incomes, to their salaries, to the distance, to the location where they are, can be located, can be a vulnerability related to their gender, to their uh, sexual orientation, to their religion, their job. So for different reasons, these people have a barrier to access any of them, prevention, diagnosis, treatment. They stay late, they spread the disease, they access late the treatment, they might not have enough to finish the treatment, and they will end up dying, but also spreading the disease. So to have a comprehensive plan, we call them national strategic plans for TB, you need to work backwards. So if you say, I want to end TB in my country, what does it mean to end TB? Because for sure, it doesn't mean going to zero. We don't plan to eradicate by 2030. We don't plan to eliminate. We plan to end TB. And to end TB is a sort of cutoff value decided that can be decided by each country. But what is very important is to work backwards from there and say, if I want to arrive, but let's say you spoke about the uh, incidence number of people per 100,000, let's say 60 per 100,000 in 2030 for a big country. For example, Indonesia, by the way, who did a fantastic job in 2022, as I said, is planning to do a decrease uh, of their incidence by 2030 to 65 per 100,000. That will be their zero because they are now at more than uh, 200. So it's a significant decrease, right? So very important is to say, okay, what will take me here? And it's very important to secure that there is not only one intervention, but a group of interventions. And for sure, from these interventions, in addition to preventive treatment, a vaccine for TB in the future will be extremely important. India is uh, the only country that in 2017 and 18, in 18 declared it publicly that they want to end TB by 2025. And they sat and developed a plan and costed the plan to see what it means and how much it costs. And it ended up with a huge amount, but in the same time, they tripled two times their budgets to go there, the national domestic budget. So India is a very, very good example of this uh, model. There are at least 10 more countries that are going in the same direction of really having very clear targets and working backwards. And I think all the rest of the remaining 20 high burden countries are working in the similar way as well. 
So you just mentioned, as an aside, a potential vaccine for tuberculosis. How close are we to that vaccine? So TB, as you know, has a vaccine called BCG that some of us more senior are uh, vaccinated with. And we lived with the belief that it will protect us. And then we learned that actually it doesn't protect young adults and adults at all. It protects uh, newborn babies and infants. So forget about the BCG as it was formed. So we don't have a vaccine. We operate with the BCG for the countries that are having a lot of TB to protect the babies. We have a pretty good pipeline for a TB vaccine. We have two or three front runners in the phase three trials, and hopefully we will be able to see the light of them uh, before 2030. There is for sure the M72 vaccine that enters into clinical trials in the phase three clinical trial later uh, this year or early in 2024. We have a Stop TB partnership working group on uh, TB vaccines, and there are advanced discussions with BioNTech. They already look into mRNA to be able to see if it will uh, be feasible to have something before. Honestly, we need something by 2026 if we really want to make the change by 2030 in terms of ending TB. So it is feasible technologically. It is feasible even without the BioNTech rush to have something before 2030. I think a mRNA vaccine will be very useful to have it earlier than like 2026 or so to be able to roll it out is very feasible. Important is the to have the resources and to have the resources predictable and stable. Yeah. So lastly, I know that this coming September during the UN General Assembly, there is to be a high level meeting on tuberculosis. And for people not familiar with UN parlance, high level meeting tends to mean a meeting of presidents or prime ministers and foreign ministers that all gather around a particular topic on the sidelines of the big UN summit in New York each September. So there is this high-level meeting happening in New York in September on tuberculosis. What do you hope comes out of that important gathering? So first, I hope that we will have a very good political declaration coming out of the UN high-level meeting that the heads of states and governments that will be present, hopefully in large number, will take serious and to the heart. Very often, uh, to be honest, they can sign or uh, commit on anything, and then uh, there is very little follow-up. We are trying to take very serious the accountability, and we are trying to support civil society and communities a, lo a lot to hold their leaders accountable for what they do for the health of their own people. So that's one, a solid political declaration that includes clear targets that are not only global, but are in fact at national level and subnational level that are then followed by very solid accountability processes by the populations and by the people affected by TB. And then the second one, I actually hope that the world will hear about TB, but also about the fact that we have the knowledge and there is a capacity and the possibility to end this disease. As we saw, as I said, in 2022, these countries raise like phoenix from their own ashes to be able to go above everyone thought is feasible. So the world lives with this disease for 
hundreds of years. And it will be so amazing to be able to drive it as close as possible to zero by 2030 because it's very feasible. So I hope that that will be a momentum in which everybody will understand that it's feasible to end TB and that we can do it. So get a sort of sense of urgency, but also a sense of hope for everybody with this UNHLM. Thank you so much, Dr. Dutiu. This was very helpful and good luck for, you know, for all of humanity where we're hoping we get there. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Global Dispatches. Our show is produced by me, Mark Leon Goldberg, and edited and mixed by Levi Sharp. If you have questions or comments, please email us using the contact button on globaldispatchespodcast.com. Before you go, do take a moment to show your support for the show by becoming a premium subscriber. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can do so with a couple taps of your thumb. If you're listening elsewhere, you can go to patreon.com slash globaldispatches. We rely on support from listeners to continue to do what we do far into the future. And by becoming a premium subscriber, you will unlock access to our entire archive of hundreds and hundreds of episodes. Please rate or review the show on Apple Podcasts. <music>